what we've just heard, what we've sung, uh, what we heard from Scripture, that is the biblical account of Christmas. So if you've ever wondered what Christmas is really about, uh, there it is. And, and chances are there's some here today who really don't know what it's about. You know, we, uh, we've been going through a, a little sermon series about making room for Jesus, and I talked at the very first one about, you know, if, if someone had never heard of Christmas and they arrived and they just were to walk through city center, would they be able to determine what Christmas is about by what they saw, by what they heard? <laughs> they wouldn't. They'd be so utterly confused. But Christians celebrate Christmas as the coming of God into the world to save sinners. That is what it's about. But the vast majority of the world does miss Christmas. It's true. Um, and they miss it every single, every single year. And these past two weeks, we've taken a look at the biblical account of Christmas. So a lot of those passages that were read, we've actually read already. And from those accounts, we have been able to discover uh, the different problems that led to the people missing Christmas. Uh, we began by looking at that city of Bethlehem. If you might remember, we looked at the, uh, the innkeeper there, and we saw how they could have missed Christmas during their time. And it was because of preoccupation. Do you remember that? Preoccupation. The known world at the time was undergoing a, a census, and uh, well done on the pronunciation, uh, Caitlin, of Quirinius. That is a hard uh, a name, why he was governing Syria. It was a decree by Caesar Augustus. And, uh, and so every city would have been just uh, packed with people trying to take care of this census, particularly Bethlehem, the city of David, because every living descendant of David would have had to have gone back to Bethlehem. They would have been there as well as anyone else whose family roots were from Bethlehem. And so the inhabitants of Bethlehem, they were, they were busy. They were just preoccupied with receiving all of the people that were coming in from the surrounding regions, the travelers, and accommodating the requirements of those who were doing the census. So they would have been completely preoccupied, and they were. They missed Christmas. The innkeeper himself, which isn't even mentioned in Scripture, but, but we assume there is, was an innkeeper, missed Christmas. He was, he was just full. He had too many people. He was too busy. <clears throat> and that is our world today. Christmas is a busy season. Everyone says it, everyone feels it, everyone uh, knows it. There's just so much activity, not necessarily sinful activity, but just busyness, things that are, that are good, uh, feasts that we're planning for, parties that we're planning for, school activities and family act gatherings and church uh, activities. And so all of these things just create a season of busyness. And the busyness of the season can lead to a preoccupation with those things that can distract us to the point that we miss Christmas because we really don't have room for Jesus in the picture because of all the traditions and all the things that we think must accompany the season. There's another problem that leads to people missing Christmas, and we looked at it last week, and it is pride. And we primarily saw it in the life of King Herod. He was a powerful ruler. Um, he feared losing his position, his prominence, and his power he gave himself the title King of the Jews, and when he heard from the wise men, when they asked him that question, where is he who has been born King of the Jews, boy, he, he became fearful, and he sought to kill Jesus in order to preserve his power. Now, I know that's an extreme example. Not everyone is, is a Herod to that extent, but there are tons of Herods today. There really are. Pride is the root issue behind, behind everyone 
who won't allow anything or anyone else to interfere with their, their plans. We love to make our plans. Our careers, our ambitions, our uh, lifestyle must be uh, about us, governed by us. But Christ wants to govern all of us. And so they like hair they, because they want to keep those things. They, they miss Christmas every single year. They don't have room for Jesus in their lives. Today, we're going to look at a third problem, just briefly. <coughs> it is seen through the nation that ruled during the time of Jesus. The nation that ruled was Rome, obviously. And if you turn to Luke chapter 2, we just read this, you'll see this, but in Luke chapter 2, verses uh, 1 to 3, just briefly there, it says this, And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus, that all the world should be registered. This census took, uh, first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria, and so all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Now, there should be a name there that pops out to you. It's probably not Quirinius. It's probably Caesar Augustus. Yes, this is the Caesar Augustus. He's only mentioned in Scripture here in Luke chapter 2. Caesar Augustus was born Gaius Octavius. He was known as Octavian. And he was the uh, grand-nephew of a more famous person, Julius Caesar. Now, Julius Caesar was assassinated, as you know. He was assassinated. But because Octavian was his uh, great-nephew uh, or grand-nephew, he named in his will that Octavian would be his heir. And Octavian would take his name and his position, his estate. So his full name became Gaius Julius Caesar Augustus. That's a mouthful, so he officially referred to himself as Caesar Augustus in short. And he was the first Roman emperor, because that's the time the empire started. Before that, you didn't necessarily have an empire. But he was the first Roman empire. And he reigned from, or emperor, and he reigned from 27 BC to his death in AD 14. That's just a little of the history there. But it was under his rule that the great Pax Romana, the Roman peace, began because of the reforms that he put out throughout the empire of Rome. He wanted to, to quit, to cease all the quarreling and, and strife that, and warring that was taking place throughout the entire Roman empire, and he was able to accomplish that. It became known as an era of, of peace. He was a great emperor. And it was in the middle of, this, of his reign that this worldwide census was uh, decreed, and it's recorded here in Luke's gospel. And so everywhere you would have gone, there would have been Romans, everywhere. Roman soldiers would have been everywhere. Bethlehem would have been full of Roman soldiers. They were the ones responsible for <clears throat> taking this census. They would have been in, in every major city, all the surrounding areas, because they had a huge task to fulfill. They had to get the census done. But as mighty and as vast as the Roman Empire was, it was an entire empire that missed Christmas. They all missed it. They missed the birth of Jesus. How? A very simple P word. We've had uh, preoccupation and pride. The third is paganism. Paganism. Now, the Romans, as you know, were, were a pagan culture. They had a, a pantheon of gods. They, they worshiped many, many gods. And in addition to their many gods, Caesar Augustus, as good of an emperor as he was, instituted another god worship. It was the deification of the emperor. Emperor worship came under Caesar Augustus. And so there was yet another god to put under their pantheon of gods. And so with all those so-called gods, there simply was not room for yet another god. There was no room for 
Jesus. When you think about this, you think that when God made himself known to another nation, the nation of Israel, when he made himself known to those people under the leadership of Moses, they were out wandering in the the wilderness. They weren't really a nation. They had no place uh, to call home. But God came to them and he gave them a moral law that, that everyone was to govern themselves by so that there would be some kind of order, so there would, they would begin to look like a nation. And yet they had all these rules about what to do when people die and where to do your business and what to do with sick people and all those things, which makes sense for a lot of people. But the moral law was the center of their civilization. It's known as the Ten Commandments. And do you remember what his very first commandment was? You shall have no other gods before me. Here's the first thing I want you all to know. I am your God. There are no other gods. Israel was surrounded by pagan nations. They all worshiped false gods. And so God wanted Israel to be distinct, to be distinct from the rest of the world. And, um, And for them to be distinct, they had to worship one God. The rest of the world was paganistic. And the rest of our world today is the same. False gods are more numerous today than they were back then. And um, I think paganism has a stranglehold in our world. And I'm not just referring to the false gods of other religions, and I'm not just referring to those dark and distant lands where the name of Christ has not been heard, although those places exist and they need Christ. But today, people worship all kinds of false gods. Just, Just talk to people. Talk to them for just a little bit, and you find out who or what their God really is. It's money. It's, it's sex. It's education. It's power. It's fame. It's, it's recreation. You name it, they worship false gods. That's called idolatry, but it's paganism. It's the worship of anything other than the God of the universe, the God of the Bible. And idolatry, the idolatry of today is selfishness and materialism. What can I get for me? How can I build my kingdom? It's all about us. And isn't it sad that those things, that's, that's, they, that's become the hallmark of the Christmas season. You're, you're, you're coerced to go and buy stuff, to get things. And everyone's out to kind of get the best deal, the best price. And I've actually seen people in a store fighting over a big screen TV on sale because it's the last one left. I mean, it's nutters, but this stuff happens. What's the slogan? Money makes the world go round, isn't it? Listen, money is important. It's a useful tool to those who use it wisely, to those who know how to master it. But it makes a terrible, terrible master. And I just want to take you to a couple of passages. Paul speaks to a young pastor. His name is Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6. And he says this about really about possessions and about contentment. He says this in chapter 6, verse 6. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain. Now, look at that phrase. Godliness with contentment is gain. We want to gain by getting things. But he says, listen, if you're godly and you're content, you have gained a lot. There's a lot in that little verse. For we brought nothing into this world. Huh, that's certain. And it's certain we can carry nothing out. Both of those things are true, right? Didn't the... Didn't the uh, Egyptians think you could carry things out? But we dug up all their stuff and we found it. It's still there, okay? You take nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. 
But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So he says money itself <clears throat> isn't evil. It's the love of money that's evil. Notice it says the discontent are those who desire to be rich. They desire for more. Christmas comes every year, and we all have our little wish list, don't we? We have the things that we want, and, and many of us get those things. Haven't you talked to people say, oh, how was your Christmas? It's great. I got everything I wanted. That's what makes Christmas great. I got all the stuff that I desired. And then what happens? Next Christmas comes around, I got a whole new long list, right? Here's a whole new long list of things that I desire. It's the pursuit of. It's the, not the possession of, but the pursuit of these things. Wealth, possessions that we're told is a foolish and harmful lust. Remember, we talked last week about pride, and we looked at the fear side of it with, with King Herod. Lust is the other side of the coin, isn't it? Fear and lust. Fear uh, is the side that wants to control or preserve the things that we, we have. We don't want to lose those things. But, but lust is the desire to control or obtain the things that we want. And so we're told uh, 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 harmful, that lust, lust is so harmful that it can even, even cause some to stray from the faith. Did you see that? In their greediness that that becomes more important than what they believe the Bible has to say. The message of the Bible is a greater message than anything, anything that we could possess on this earth. So why is it such a foolish thing to pursue possessions? Well, if you're still in Luke with me, turn to Luke chapter 12. I just want to take you to this real quick. Luke chapter 12. <clears throat> you're doing great, young kids. You're doing great. Luke chapter 12. <clears throat> beginning of verse 15 well we'll start in verse 13 it's the parable of the rich fool but in verse 13 someone actually comes to jesus it says then one from the crowd said to him teacher tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me so this is a uh, a squabble over money possessions but he said to him man who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you and he said to them, take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Do you see that? He says, this is why you got to be careful about covetousness, because you begin to think that your whole life's purpose is about the things that you have. Now listen, not just those material possessions, the things you've accomplished. I made my fame. I got my education. I did this. I did that. You begin to think your life is about that. Look at my accomplishments. Now this is not to shoot down the good things that people do. And we should give credit to people's accomplishments. But what I'm saying is, it is the, the life consists of that. Do you see that? They begin to think that their life consists of those uh, things. And so, so, so concerned is Jesus about this that he tries to tell them a parable. He tries to give them this truth in a parable. He goes on in verse 16, and he spoke a parable to them saying, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself saying, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? 
So he said, I will do this, and I will pull down my barns, and I will build greater, and there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Saul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. It's a very uh, sobering parable, isn't it? This man was called a fool. Why was he called a fool? Because he had amassed many possessions. He had many, many things, but he had done nothing for his soul. He ignored his soul. In fact, he was spiritually bankrupt. He was not rich toward God. How are we rich toward God? You might remember this, that Jesus preached a, a powerful sermon it's called the Sermon on the Mount or the, the Beatitudes. And the first thing out of his mouth on that sermon was Matthew 5, 3. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You want the kingdom of heaven? You've got to be poor in spirit. To be poor in spirit is to recognize that you have nothing to offer God spiritually. I, I don't have anything here that God looks at and says, oh, yeah, he's a good, he's a good guy. I'll, I'll take him. I am spiritually bankrupt. And that takes humility. We looked at that last week as, as well. It's, it's a pride thing. The root, once again, is, is pride, even of this. That humility is giving up our own kingdoms to inherit God's. That's what humility is. And, you know, there was a, a young man that asked Jesus a very simple question. He, he wanted to know then the secret. How do I get eternal life? It's kind of like this rich young uh, fool. And it's in Matthew 19. I have it up on the screen for you. Matthew 19, verse 16, now behold, one came and said to him, good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? So there's a question. There you go. How do I get eternal life? Certainly it's by doing one good thing. There's got to be one thing above all the other things, one good thing that I should do. And look at Jesus' answer. So he said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good, but one, that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. So just keep my law, the moral law, the Ten Commandments. And the man says, well, which ones? <clears throat> Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He's quoting the Ten Commandments to, to him. And the young man said to him, all the things I've kept from my youth. Yeah, I, I've got it. I've done all that. What's he saying to Jesus? I'm a good person. I've never killed. I've never stolen. I've never done these things. <clears throat> what do I still lack? And Jesus says to him, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. See, what Jesus did for that young man was to reveal to him that he in fact was not perfect as he believed himself to be that he was a good man. One, I just need to do one good thing to come into heaven. What he showed him was that he was self-righteous. He had a self-righteous attitude. And he revealed for him the, the primary issue keeping him from eternal life. He loved something more than God. He worshiped another God, his, his great possessions. And Jesus' challenge for the man to give them away and follow him was just too big a sacrifice. He went away sorrowful. Jesus wasn't worth it. Jesus is not worth it for many people today. 
I've got to do too many things. I've got to jump through too many hoops. I've got to give up too much. I, I, I have all these things, whatever. Possessions aren't wrong. It's not bad to have things. But for so many people today, the things, whatever they are, whatever those things are, they end up possessing them. That's the difference. We don't possess that stuff. They possess us. And that's idolatry. That's our pagan world. We worship anything and we worship everything except God. And Romans chapter 1 reveals why God dislikes that and why he is going to judge sin. And I know we hate that word. We hate that word sin. But the Bible tells us in Romans 1 that there are three undeniable truths about all men. I don't care what you have to say about what your belief is about God. The Bible tells me three things I already know about you. And this is not original, by the way. Someone shared this at Truth For Youth, and I thought it was so profound and powerful. I'm sharing it with you today. Three absolute truths that are, are true just from Romans chapter 1. The first is this, that all men know that God exists. I don't care who you talk to. They say, oh, I don't believe there's God. All men do know that God exists because the Bible tells me that they know God exists. In Romans chapter 1, 18 and 19 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them for God has shown it to them. They know that God exists. That's one absolute truth or undeniable truth. The second undeniable truth is that all men know his law. All men know his law. In Romans chapter 1 again, verse 20, says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. This tells us that they know that, that God is God and he deserves to be worshipped, and so they deny the very first law of God. There's no other gods before me, and instead they say, I'm going to worship the creation. And they, make, and they made idols and things like, you know, birds and bird men and, you know, all these things to, to worship. And, our, and, and, and now and today we just worship just anything as long as it's not God. But they know that God desires that no other gods should be before him. They know it, but they've darkened their hearts. The third and undeniable truth is that all men know his judgments. And Romans ends with this, Romans 1.32, who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things, it's after listing sinful activities, those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. So, regardless of what people say about their beliefs about God, the Bible says something else. It says they already know that he exists. They already know his law. They already know his judgments. The reason they refuse to acknowledge him is because they love their sin and they hate God, and they fear his judgments. That's the reality, and we have to accept that. But listen, that all sounds so hard, but that's the whole reason for Christmas. If you don't grasp that, you miss Christmas. Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Did you hear it when Matthew 1 was read? In Matthew 1, 21, and she will bring forth a son, and she shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. 
Jesus came to save us from our sins. We celebrate the birth of Jesus every year because we celebrate that the forgiveness of sins and the new life that he offers has been given to each of us who have accepted him. Don't let another Christmas pass you by. Don't miss another Christmas. I would just ask this. Are you willing to give up everything for God? You might be a good person. You might do a lot of good things. But if you're not willing to give everything up for God, then, then you're holding on to, to something else. But we're told that we need to lay up treasures in heaven. Lay up treasures there. The whole point of that is because the more we lay our treasures here, the more attached to here we become. And the more likely it will be that we'll just love that more than God. And I fear that uh, for, for anyone. I would hate to wake up one day and find out that I decided that I just love things. <laughs> I love uh, whatever it might be more than I love God. The paganism of the Roman Empire, the pantheon of gods they worship, caused them to miss Christmas altogether. But people miss it today <clears throat> for the same reasons. They miss Christ. They miss Christmas because they just worship so much else. If you've never given your life to Christ, I pray that you would consider doing that today. He, he doesn't ask you to sell your home and to walk away. What he was doing, that young man was revealing he had a stronghold in his heart. He does ask you to release the strongholds to him because those are masters that treat us poorly. Whatever that is, whatever that has, it, it's not a good master. Jesus is a great master. He's a wonderful master, and he's a great God and a great Savior. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word to us today, and we pray, Lord, that you would protect us, Lord, from the greed, the desires of this world that so easily, Lord, creep into our lives. It's so, it's so easy to, to latch on to these things. Even through traditions and practice, Lord, we become consumers and consumer-minded and materialistic and selfish, and Lord, the first letter in the Christian alphabet is humility. We're meant to be a humble people. Uh, firstly, because we recognize that we are sinners, that we're wretched, and we need a saving. Uh, secondly, because we recognize that everything that we do have comes from you to begin with. It all belongs to you. And so we're just grateful, Lord, for what you've done for us. Thank you for Christmas. Thank you that we can celebrate the birth of Christ, Lord. Help us to make room for you in our hearts. We love you, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.